Our gospel lesson today is going to once again come from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to continue in our series together as we're reading the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be reading once again this week from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verses 9 through 13 of Matthew chapter 6. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When we were in Petal, my youth pastor there uh, for a season, Petal has this real, uh, uh, real, real good pipeline with, uh, with great musicians. And uh, they, they often will get really talented foreign exchange students uh, to come to spend their senior year or spend some time in pedal, and it really helps their band and helps, helps the community. It's a really neat thing to see how the community works together within this. And so sometimes you'll see things come out. It's like, hey, we have some foreign exchange kids coming into town. Would anyone, would anyone like to be a host family? And so when we were in pedal, my youth pastor, he and his wife, uh, they, uh, they were a host family for a foreign exchange student uh, from Belgium. She was a great girl. We really enjoyed getting to know her, spend time with her in church, and spend time with her in the community. She was a, just a wonderful person. And uh, one of the neat things was when her family came to visit her towards the end of her time in Petal. They were visiting with some of us and visiting with, with this family. And they asked, well, you know, what do you do for fun here in Petal? And my, my youth pastor said, well, you know, Petal's a great location. Hasburg's a great location. We're, we're an hour and a half from Hattiesburg to Jackson, an hour and a half to New Orleans, an hour and a half to Mobile, an hour and a half to the Gulf Coast. That's why, that's why Hattiesburg is called the Hub City. It kind of is a hub between all these different places. And that's, that's one of the great advantages of living there in Hattiesburg is you're close, you're very close. You're an hour and a half from pretty much anywhere you'd want to go in, in South Mississippi or, or the Gulf Coast area by and large. Very exciting thing. And, and the dad acted like, oh, well, that was... That's interesting. We didn't, didn't really act impressed with how close we were to the beach in Hattiesburg. And come to find out, the reason why being an hour and a half from the coast was not that impressive to him was where they lived in Belgium, they were an hour and a half from Paris, and an hour and a half from London, an hour and a half from Switzerland, the Alps, skiing and things such as that. So as great as Mobile is, it ain't Paris. So being an hour and a half from Mobile did not really compare to being an hour and a half from Paris. One of the interesting things we see, we contrast between our culture here in America and much of the rest of the world is this. In America, we have space. We don't think anything of, of driving long distances to, to do things. We, we, have, we are used to... To, we are used to space. I live 20 minutes from the church in Gluckstadt. I mean, that's no big deal. I get in my car, I get my coffee, I put on my podcast, I drive to work. It's great, no big deal. Not a problem at all. When we were in the Delta, we thought nothing of driving 45 minutes down to Greenville just to get Chinese food. We thought nothing of driving 45 minutes to an hour over to Greenwood to go to the Crystal Grill. We thought nothing of crossing the river in Greenville to go over to Lake Village, Arkansas and go to the cow pen to get a good steak. We didn't, sure, let's drive an hour. No big deal. Didn't matter, Blake and I, we are used to space. What they have in Europe 
that we don't have really is history. What we have for space, they have for history. Let's think about our most historic buildings in America. Think about the old antebellum homes that predate the Civil War, built in the 1840s sometimes, my goodness. I loved when I was pastor at Ripley to worship in their beautiful, historic downtown sanctuary built in the 1920s. Our old buildings are 100 years old, maybe, maybe, maybe 200 years old. That's ancient in America. When C.S. Lewis taught at Oxford, he taught in what was called the New Building. The New Building was built in the 1600s. What we have for space in America, Europe, much of the world, the rest of the world has for history. Some of you my age may remember the, um, the Serbian wars of the, the, 19, of the 1990s. Um, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, those type places, Montenegro, all those. All, basically the dissolution of Yugoslavia into all these different different, uh, different different new countries that were formed that were basically pieced together to form Yugoslavia that after the fall of the Soviet Union kind of disintegrated into a, into a big mess. And I remember reading an article about that conflict. And it was interesting. It was interesting that the conflict that was going on in the 1990s had its birth, if you will, not in the 1990s or not in the 1970s, the 1940s, or even the 1800s. But it goes back to conflict that started in the 12th century. This war that swept over a lot of that part of Europe, that was ugly. And if you remember, if, you, if you're like me and remember that those Bosnian wars in the 1990s that involved terms like ethnic cleansing, things such as that, horrible, awful genocidal type things, if you remember that, those conflicts that they fought over would literally go back to the 12th century. What we have in America regarding space, Europe, and much of the rest of the world has with history. Now, here in America, we do have the Hatfields, the McCoys, things such as that. But that's, that's modern. We have space. They have history. So it's interesting to see how much of conflict and how much of history revolves around previous wrongs, revolves around previous conflict, revolves around those type things. Generation of gener- after generation after generation fights the same conflict, fights the same wars that their parents started. They're fighting in the wars their father started, that their father started before them, that their father started before them, that their father started before them, and it goes back and back and back. 
And back in America, it may go back to the 1800s. Uh, one of my favorite singers, Jason Isbell, has a song called Decoration Day that talks about these conflicts. That, that, that have, and he said, I don't even know. We, we, never, we never have trouble we didn't bring on ourselves. And we don't even know where the conflict started. We just know that we don't like them and they don't like us. And it goes back 100 years. Like I said, back in Europe, it goes back 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 3,000 years. The conflict keeps going and going and going, and the cycle keeps going and going and going and going. The sins of the father are passed down to the children. That's a verse we've all heard, this notion of generational sin. The sins of the father are passed down to the children. What that really means is this. If the children see the fathers and the mothers living out the continuation of unforgiveness and of retribution and of violence, then the same hatred and the same unforgiveness that infected the souls of the parents would pass down to the children and to their children. To their children and to their children. And the cycle will continue. And the unforgiveness will continue. That's kind of how it works. So today, we read something very interesting, don't we? And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The word debt there, you know, Luke in his version has the word sin. The word debt there is, is, is something that's owed. Oh, it's deeper. The word debt in many ways here is deeper than sins. Uh, sins in the Greek here point to a action that offends or an action that is wrong or an action that is outside the bounds. Debt is deeper. Debt has that financial ring to it that we all feel. But debt goes back to something something owed. Debt goes back to something deeper, something wrong, something aggrieved, something that hurts, something that um, lingers. Debt leaves a mark. Sins, sin sometimes in this, this, this translation, sin would be an action that's wrong that's outside the bounds. Debt's something that leaves a mark. And is it something that just needs, needs to be atoned for? Something that needs to be paid. Something that needs to be corrected and made right. It's deeper than sin because the reason why it's deeper than sin is because debt points to the cost of sin. See, that's the thing with sin. Sin leaves a mark. Sin leaves a mark. Sin always leaves a mark. Sin always leaves a scar. Sin always leaves a pain. One of my favorite things you've heard me say before, one of the best Quotes I've ever heard about sin and something that I heard Max Lucado write. Max Lucado said, the reason why God hates sin so much is because sin destroys his children. Sin always leaves a mark. In legal terms, there's a concept called a victimless crime. It's a crime where there's no victim necessarily. 
We sometimes think of victimless sin. Friends, there's no such thing as victimless sin. Every sin leaves, has an effect. Every sin leaves a mark. Every sin brings a pain. Every sin brings hurt. Every sin harms a relationship. If nothing else, the sin harms the relationship that I have with myself, and the sin harms the relationship that I have with God. Sin always hurts. Sin always destroys. Sin always brings harm. That's why Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's what the thief does. That's what the devil does. He comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. Sin costs. Sin leaves a mark. And sin must be atoned for. Sin must be atoned for. There's no real reconciliation. No real forgiveness without repentance. Without sorrow. Without being atoned for. Sin must be paid for. There's a, there's a great line, and I don't know how many of y'all are Marvel movie fans, but one of the, somebody who's going to be the villain in an eventual Marvel movie is Mordor, who's a villain, who is a, he's an ally, becomes a villain in, um, or an adversary in Doctor Strange. And his line towards Doctor Strange is this, the bill always comes due. He's not wrong. The bill for sin always comes due. Our actions must always, our actions that are wrong, our sins must be paid for. So today, as you're watching this online, we're not going to be receiving communion within the online service, but we will have the drive-through communion service at 4 o'clock today that we invite you to come to. For those, we have friends worshiping in person right now through drive-in and out on the front lawn right now that are receiving communion. And in communion, we, we have... In, in fact, we had earlier today, didn't we, this confession of sin. We have not heard the cry of the need. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. Forgive us, we pray, and free us for joyful obedience. The bill for sin comes due. We, we've, not, we've not heard. We've, we've heard the cry of the needy, and we've ignored it. We have, we have known God's will and God's command. And we have broken it. There are, times, there are times in our life we don't know right or wrong. Yes, friends, there are times in our life we don't know what the right thing, we don't know what the right thing is. There are. There are times like that we just don't know. There are. But y'all, let's be honest. Let's be honest, y'all. Let's just, among friends, let's be honest. It's also a lot of times when we know what's right and wrong, don't we? We know. We know. We know. And we do the wrong anyway. Paul said in Romans, the very things I should not do are the very things that I do. And those actions, those actions, they, they harm us. They harm our soul. And they harm our walk with God. His body broken for us. 
His blood poured out and shed for us. Our sins cost. And Jesus Christ paid the price for that. Our sins affect our walk with God. And our sins affect our walk with each other. And our sins affect our walk with ourselves. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Y'all, the cycle's got to end. The cycle's got to end. The cycle of unforgiveness has to end. God forgives us. God has given us his son. God has given us Jesus. God has forgiven us. God has atoned for us. I'm reading through Isaiah right now in my morning readings. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. He took upon us the iniquities of us all. Every sin, y'all. Every, every, every sin we've ever committed. Every sin we're currently committing. Every sin we're going to commit. All of it. All the black and dark and dirty and all the stuff that's deep within my soul. All the stuff that's deep within your soul. All the stuff that we're ashamed of, embarrassed of. Jesus Christ took all of that. He took it all. He took it all, every last thing in our life that is contrary to the will of God. Every thought, every action, every intent of the heart, all of it. He took it to the cross and nailed it, and we have been forgiven. The Bible says that we confess our sins. God is faithful. He who is faithful and just will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Through the blood of Christ, we can be forgiven. Grace greater than our sins. I, I'm in a Tuesday night Bible study, and we're studying the Ragamuffin Gospel. Wonderful book. If you've not read it, please read it. I can't beg you any more than I can to, beg, to read it. But it talks about how ultimately we are, we are imperfect creatures, and we can't measure up. So we spend so much of our life feeling rejected because we're not good enough. Sin makes liars of us all. Because as Christians, we feel like we have to be perfect and we get it wrong. So we lie to pretend we're perfect because we have to be better than them, those lost folk out there. Sin makes liars of us all. So we bury our sins deep down within and not telling everybody, keeping it to ourselves, keeping it secret so nobody knows. God has seen all. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is it says, he who is, he who, when our hearts condemn us, he is greater than our hearts. There's nothing you can do to put you outside of God's love. Nothing. Nothing. The only unforgivable sin is blasphemy. And in my opinion, the reason why blasphemy is unforgivable is because we won't ask forgiveness. When we forgive, when we go to Christ, when we go to God and ask forgiveness, we are forgiven.
Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We have to forgive each other, y'all. We have to forgive each other. The cycle has to end. The cycle of unforgiveness. The cycle of holding grudges. The cycle of resentment. The cycle of anger. We who are Christians, we who are the ones who know forgiveness because we have been forgiven, our reputation should be that of so grace-filled that people think we're foolish and naive because we forgive so much. And that's hard, y'all. That's hard to forgive. It is. <laughs> Boy, howdy, is that hard. Particularly when somebody's harmed my love, like, yeah, I don't care what you do to me. Don't mess with my wife. Don't mess with my kids. Do what you want to do to me. I don't care. Well, don't. I'm a baby. Don't do anything to me. Be nice to me. I need affirmation, as I joke all the time. When we harm somebody I love, that's what, that's what really gets my goat. But giving in to forgive, uh, to giving in to hatred, giving in to unforgiveness, perpetuates a cycle that is unending. And the only way, the only way forward, is to break that cycle. This morning. If you're sincerely asking God to forgive you of sin, the next question in your life and in my life needs to be this. Lord, who must I forgive? If you've forgiven me my debts, if you've forgiven me my trespass, if you've forgiven me my sins, oh Lord, who should I forgive? Oh Lord, who should I forgive? Forgiven people, forgive people. Today, in our life, if we have been forgiven, who is our God calling us to forgive? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Our God has given us grace upon grace, glory upon glory, mercy upon mercy. May we do the same thing in our lives. As forgiven people, may we forgive people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your salvation through Jesus Christ, God. As you have forgiven us our sins, God, help us to forgive each other of our sins. We love you. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.